Hello, and welcome to episode three of the Specialty Lens Success Podcast. I am Ted Newell, your host. We are glad you're here. This podcast is meant to share the inspiring stories of how successful specialty lens practitioners built their practices with an emphasis on marketing, operations, and technology. But before I introduce today's guests, I'd like you to think about the following questions. Do you know what LASIK Disney is? What are good referral tactics? Are you familiar with the concept of speed to specialty? And the last question, are you playing the long game with your practice? Well, you are in luck because these are just a few of the topics that will be discussed today with our guests, Dr. Alex Giberman, FAAO, FSLS, and Dr. David Williams, MBA, of 2020 Eye Care Ohio. 2020 Eye Care is located in Loveland, Ohio, which is a suburb on the northeast side of Cincinnati. Early in their careers, Dr. Giberman and Dr. Williams met while moonlighting at a lens crafters. Needless to say, they hit it off and started talking about opening a practice together. Today, we talk about the different skill sets each brought to the practice, how they marketed the practice, and how they maintain important relationships to enhance word-of-mouth referrals. Are you starting a specialty lens practice from scratch? They have some words of wisdom. This podcast is produced by the fine folks at Eaglet Eye. If you think this podcast has value and you want to share it with a colleague, simply use the share link on your podcast player of choice. Are you going to the ICSC in Fort Lauderdale at the end of July? They have a unique agenda this year. If you go, we will see you there. A link to the 2020 Eye Care Ohio website and the ICSC website will be in the show notes. In just a moment, we will meet up with Dr. Gimmerman and Dr. Williams to get the answers to the questions I posed earlier and much more. Dr. Giberman and Dr. Williams, welcome to the Specialty Lens Success Podcast. Uh, thanks so much for your time today. I think the two of you have some really important things to share with our listeners in terms of your practice and its growth and, and your careers. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, man. We appreciate it. We're excited to uh, to talk about it today. Well, this is going to be a lot of fun. So let's get right on to it. And I think the way we'll start, if you recall from our preparatory call that we had a couple of weeks ago, is we're going to start, each of you just tell a story about a real life story that sort of captures the importance of specialty lenses to the um, each of you. So I'll start with you, Alex. Well, I, I definitely, I love everything about specialty contacts, but specifically because I feel like they make an instant impact. So much of medicine is, you know, chronic treatment for disease and physical therapy and lifelong stuff. And, you know, it's not like we just, uh, you know, fit a, fit a patient, send them on their way, but it is really nice that there's that instant, you know, snap your fingers gratification of some of these people have these you know, crazy, serious, and 
sometimes quickly developing problems and then boom, we put a lens on and they can see. So, you know, that's what I love about it. Uh, I guess two, two quick ones. I actually had a patient that we saw maybe a week or two ago that developed a viral infection in his right eye. So this is somebody that, you know, really was 2020 best corrected, had no issues at all. And then out of nowhere gets this, this crazy uh, virus, the, the, he actually saw three cornea specialists. They couldn't even land on exactly what the problem was, but it kind of, it destroyed his endothelium. Among other things, he ended up with a DMEC and his vision was fluctuating all over the place. Even after surgery, he was 2025 20, briefly, and then he tanked back to 2200. They couldn't get him any better than that. And this guy was, was devastated. He was miserable. One of the cornea specialists sent him in and, you know, basically said, see what you can do. You know, the, it's kind of a train wreck. We were hoping that we might be able to get them to 2040, 2050. And the very first lens that we got, got them to 2020 minus. And just like that guy goes from, you know, totally devastated, totally lost vision in one eye to back to 2020, just by wearing a contact lens. So um, that's just a great, one great example of, you know, kind of that instant impact. And then uh, I guess the other quick one that I would share is a, a, maybe like an 80 year old lady that came in, had a, a history of uh, severe dry eye from autoimmune disease. And again, had pretty much given up a lot of her hobbies, was an avid baker and was just miserable. She was, you know, cur- uh, her, her corneas were totally beat up. She was staring at about 2070 best corrected in glasses, had tried absolutely everything dry eye therapy wise. Again, we were able to fit her in some some scleral lenses and instantly her vision improved to 2025. And she was just blown away, you know, years of struggling. And then just again, snap your fingers, vision's back. And she was able to start baking again. She brought us in a whole thing of homemade cookies. We were very happy about that. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, I, I just absolutely, uh, you know, that that's just, a, I guess, a, one of the many reasons that we we love doing what we do. That's great, man. Um, my, mine's a similar story. I'm going to try to be not long winded with this, but I worked in the LASIK field for many years and something I always found to be fascinating were the patients that had so much gratitude after the procedure for the vision that they got or the liberation that they felt from maybe thinking that they were stuck in glasses forever. And, and it wasn't everyone, but it would catch you off guard. And it made you feel like, man, we're really doing something special here. And I always, I always wanted to hold on to that feeling. And I always wondered if in primary care optometry, you could find that feeling. Well, you can. And Alex and I do experience that with the scleral lenses. In particular, remember one gentleman, mid-50s, he had a viral infection uh, that caused some pretty severe corneal scarring about 20 years before we had seen him. He had bounced around between primary care uh, optometrists before he saw a cornea specialist that said, hey, why don't you go in and just see what they can do for you? It was his right eye. He had about 20, 50 best corrected vision on that side, irregular shape to his cornea. And he was a little apprehensive of the idea of contact lenses just because one, he had never worn them. And two, he kind of thought that was the best his vision was going to be on that side. And, you know, we measured him up and we threw the trial lens on. And when we did the over refraction, we were able to correct him down to 2025. 
it's something we see all the time. If we see that improvement in the vision and and how remarkably clear we can make things, what I didn't anticipate was him crying in our chair. And that was just such a cool experience. And I I instantly was able to recapture that feeling that I had a number of times and was like, wow, we're, uh, we're really doing something special here. Those are great stories. Changing lives, changing lives. We have seen a lot of big burly dudes be reduced to big blubbery mess of tears. They're, they're a, lot of, a lot of happy people. That's awesome. So let's go, let's go back and sort of start with, um, you know, where did you go to school? Where'd you first work after graduating? Dave, I'll let you start. Sure. Graduated. Well, I went to Miami, Ohio for undergrad, graduated there and went to Ohio State for optometry school, graduated from optometry school in 2014 and started practicing outside of Cincinnati. I worked for a a commercial group for about a year before I jumped over to working for a LASIK provider for five-ish years before Alex and I opened the practice here. During that time, I went and uh, took night classes and uh, got a business degree from Miami as well, an MBA concentrated in finance. Alex? Yeah, I um, I grew up in Cincinnati, uh, ended up going to Penn State for undergrad, and then uh, went to uh, Salus University, Pennsylvania College of Optometry in Philly for uh, optometry school. And then in 2014 as well, I ended up coming back to Cincinnati. Um, family was here, had a good uh, job opportunity to work for a, a group practice that I worked uh, with for roughly seven years for uh, joining forces with Dave in 2020 to open 2020 Eye Care. And did these first work experiences, Dave, you sort of a lot of time in a LASIK practice or LASIK focused practice and Alex, you in a group practice, did these experiences impact the way that you run your practice now? Oh, 100%. One of the big takeaways we always had was to focus on the patient experience. We used to use the term LASIK Disney, meaning always think about what the patient's experiencing from the second they walk in the door through the consultation to what they leave and what their thoughts going to be. And really having us focus on the customer service aspect of what we do. Um, That's where we thought we could really add some benefit to patients when they came in and saw our practice. Um, Also, I would say just from a business operation standpoint, just kind of knowing how to, how to um, have patients flow through the practice well, um, without bumping into one another, having it be a smooth, easy process. Okay. Yeah, I, I think there's, you know, there's something to be said about trial by fire. I mean, you know, to, to those guys that come right out of school and <clears throat> decide to open up a practice. I mean, k- kudos to, to, you know, <laughs> doing that. Um, I, I think that's definitely a difficult way to go. I, I, I think there's a, there was a huge amount of advantage to, uh, to having these work experiences, you know, for a number of years, you, you really get a feel for even just personally, what you like, what you don't like, what works, what doesn't work. It kind of gives you an opportunity to see how somebody else does things and, you know, take the good and the bad and kind of filter that out. And, you know, when you're, when you're creating your own thing, you can kind of, um, you know, piece it together in a way that makes the most sense. Um, I think the other nice thing for, for both Dave and I is that when we, when we started out the first couple of years, we kind of had our, our main places that we were working, but we also 
or moonlighting at some corporate type places, you know, like lens crafters and, uh, you know, Pearl Vision and stuff like that. And, uh, and I think that was also a really, you know, great experience, you know, just to see different modes of practice. And, you know, you, you definitely learn, again, what, what works, what's good, what's not good. I know for me personally, uh, working at lens crafters in my first year, you know, moonlighting there after school taught me how to be efficient. That's for sure. You know, you come out of a clinic, you're seeing three, four patients a day, and then you get the lens crafters, you're seeing, you know, four or five patients an hour or more. So, you know, it's, it's totally uh, uh, different when you're, when you're in student mode and then, and then you're not. Um, so there's definitely something to be said to, for those first couple of years, uh, just kind of taking the good, the bad, and just kind of soaking it all in. Well, I think Alex, you nailed it, man. I think building on that too, you get to learn your approach to practice. You, you learn your voice, kind of how you're going to run things, how you're going to operate and um, how you're going to manage the clinic. And it's just beneficial to have those early experiences to figure out who you are as a optometrist. So, yeah. Yeah. So tell us when the two of you met. Probably right that first year out of school, we were both moonlighting at the same lens crafters on the same day. Although we didn't, we didn't know that that was going to be the case. We both, uh, we both got there and saw like 60 people on the schedule and panicked and freaked out. What the hell is this? What are we going to see 60 people today? And then we (laughs) both realized that each other was there and took a deep breath. And, uh, you know, we we grabbed a, a beer afterwards and been friends ever since. That's awesome. Very good. And so two years ago, you opened up 2020 Eye Care. So what was it that made the two of you think that you should open up this practice? So we got lucky at first. Believe it or not, we were signing the paperwork for the build out in March of 2020. And uh, the world hadn't quite turned on its head yet. But we called each other and said, hey, should we uh, should we put everything on a brief hold and kind of see what happens? Well, Two weeks later, everything was shutting down and we were like, oh, man, we we dodged a bullet. But then June of that year hit and we looked at each other and said, what are we doing? Let's let's just jump in and make this happen. So we called the uh, construction group that we were working with. We called the the loan officer we were working with and said, hey, let's let's get the build out going and let's get it started. And, um, you know, it worked so well in our favor because there weren't issues with supply chain and issues with working. And I think folks were excited to get back out there and get things going. So even though the build out process of the office maybe took a a little bit longer than we wanted, and we didn't get the doors open until October of that year, we definitely wanted to get things open by October or open in 2020, right, Gibbs? Yeah, it's kind of funny how it all worked out. You know, time and time again, people, our patients, friends, whatever, you know, ask us about our story and say, oh, you know, we we opened in the middle of the pandemic. People are like, well, God, you guys are nuts. Like, why would you do that? And it it actually turned out to work out wonderfully. I don't know that we could have timed it, oddly enough, much better um, for for a lot of the reasons that, that Dave alluded to. I mean, you know, we had, first of all, we, we had a, a nice chunk of time um, where we weren't working in our other office where we could actually sit around and, and plan um, and kind of had everything just laid out really nicely. And then by the time we were ready to open, I mean, we, we were all credentialed for insurance already and we kind of had all our ducks in a row. 
Um, and then because we were small, we had a small staff, you know, all these big offices were, were worried about how many, you know, patients are they going to be able to comfortably see and having a waiting room as a new practice, we didn't really have, you know, we didn't have to worry about that because it's not like we were going to have a hundred patients, you know, rolling through the door on day one. So, you know, we kind of got to figure out our processes and ramp up at a nice kind of slow pace without having to worry about downsizing and, um, you know, figuring out how to uh, deal with, you know, huge numbers. And, and actually on the same token, you know, patients from other surrounding offices were being told that they had to wait three, four months to get in. And, and then here we pop up and they're like, oh, I can get in tomorrow. Great. Thank you very much. We'll, we'll be, we'll be coming to see you. Yeah. Alex. So that timing did end up working out pretty nicely for us. Oh yeah. Alex, you nailed it. We, um, when we opened up a lot of offices had reduced their capacity from let's say 20 exams a day down to about 10 and they booked out months and months in advance. Well, we opened our doors with basically complete availability. We captured a bunch of spillover of other offices in our area, which was like rocket fuel to growth for us that first year. Very good. Very good. Well, that's fortunate for you. I'm really glad to hear that. It all worked out very, very well. And so when we talk about specialty lenses, what happened in your respective careers that influenced you to start to focus on specialty lenses? Well, um, I, I, will, I always kind of enjoy telling this story because when I when I was in school, I absolutely had I, I had zero interest in specialty lenses and, and mainly because we weren't really exposed to it. And that's not not necessarily a knock on you know, PCO, uh, you know, every school kind of has their, their, their focus. And then to a certain degree, if you want to, you know, do or learn a certain skill, you kind of your responsibility to go out and learn it. But because I didn't really have much exposure when I graduated, I, you know, I was, I felt pretty well versed in disease and that's kind of what I thought that I would be doing, but it was, you know, kind of right out of the gate, a local cornea specialist approached me at a meeting. We were just chatting about different things. And, you know, she was like, Hey, you know, there's, there's this huge need for, you know, specialty or scleral lens fitting in Cincinnati. There's not, not really many people that do it. And we got all these patients and would you be interested in taking this on? And, you know, what, what, what am I going to say at that point? You know, here's a great opportunity and I'm, I'm new. I have <laughs> all the time in the world to, to work on this. And so that's pretty much uh, how it started. And I, we just kind of, dove into it. I called up AccuLens, which I, again, I didn't know much about any of the different labs, but, you know, they, they were nice enough to fly somebody out to Cincinnati and basically give me a, uh, you know, a crash course in scleral lens fitting. And we just kind of went from there and the rest was history. And you, Dave? Yeah. Coming from Ohio State, Ohio State had a, a pretty good contact lens clinic. Um, we definitely had exposure to scleral lenses. Uh, we definitely fit a couple of scleral lenses, but um, not anywhere to the extent that we're doing it now. When I started practicing and was working with the LASIK provider, uh, we would screen a lot of patients and see a lot of folks for consultations. And um, those folks would come in that were frustrated with their primary eye doctors because they couldn't get the contact lens prescription right, or they couldn't get their glasses prescription kept changing. And we would screen them and say, Hey, your, uh, your, your corneas are irregular. You know, you can't have LASIK done either. And, uh, 
we would refer them out to the local cornea specialists in town. And kind of similar to what Alex was saying, one time we would refer out to the uh, cornea specialists and they reached back out to us and said, what do you want us to do with these patients? You know, we, we need to get them in some specialty lenses and some folks in town. And, you know, you might want to consider sending them over to see Dr. Alex to see if he can help them out. So that was the moment of like that, aha, oh, there's something here. You know, we, the, uh, the local Cincinnati community needs more providers that are doing this. And, and then um, when the opportunity came for Alex and I to, to join forces, I think we both were like, Hey, we're, we're obviously going to focus on primary care, but also our, our subspecialty will be scleral lenses with that. So. Got it. And then like, just so listeners understand how busy you are um, about how many new fits are you averaging per month now at your practice? Starting new fits. I just looked at this because we, we have a running kind of sheet that, you know, helps us keep track of what we're doing. And uh, right now we're probably averaging about 25 new fits Holy a month. Cow. Wow. So it's, it's been, yeah, it's been pretty steady. <laughs> I mean, it basically amounts to one new one per day, more or less, that we're in the office on average. Yeah. And then do you um, also do uh, some ortho K? We haven't done too much of that um, at up to this point. Um, we actually, with the, the eaglet, um, especially with the profilometer, I mean, we certainly have the ability to do it. Just kind of this year started ramping up our marketing in that direction to try and, you know, encourage referrals for that. Um, so, yeah, it's it's something that we're we're starting to dip our toe and we just, you know, it hasn't quite been the, the overall focus at this point. Okay. And since you mentioned that... Um... Uh, the ESP, the eye surface profiler from Eaglet. So in addition to that technology, which we all know that you use for uh, your lenses and for your fittings, uh, what other technologies are important in the practice? You mean as far as specialty lens fitting or just in general? Or just in general. Oh man, definitely our, we, we have an OCT in the practice that also has a, a fundus camera attached to it. And mm-hmm. Being able to have that dual functionality in the it's it's made by Topcon. It's called the Topcon Maestro. Um, from a screening standpoint, not only being able to capture an image of the back of the eye, but also do like a screening OCT to rule out other conditions like glaucoma and macular degeneration. I mean, that's been imperative for us as we try to build a, a more medically focused practice. Yeah, patients okay. love love having that screening OCT. Um, we also have a, a visual field. Um, the uh, the the OCT has a pachymetry function. Um, so you know, beyond the uh, the eaglet, those are those are probably the, the the main things that we're we're working with right now. You know, the other the other piece too to keep in mind is you know when you're a new practice, you know you have to be pretty smart about where you spend your your money as fun as it is to to say, well, I want every single bell and whistle, you know, in the practice out of the gate, you have to be, you know, uh, so that you're not taking out a massive loan and, and sinking yourself. I mean, you got to be a little bit realistic about, you know, how many patients are we going to be seeing? What is our patient base going to look like? Is there going to be a huge need for all of this specialty equipment? And if not out of the gate, then, you know, what do we need on day one? Um, we felt like with our existing patient bases, with our existing, you know, 
prior practices and patients that might be following us that we certainly felt justified in, in picking up uh, the, the eaglet. We felt justified in having an OCT and a visual field out of the gate, um, which made sense for us. It doesn't make sense for everybody. Um, and then looking ahead, you know, when, you know, hopefully things continue to go well and practice grows, there's definitely going to be equipment that we look to add um, in the near future. But uh, so that's kind of where we're at right now. Okay. If, uh, if we were doing this all over again, too, one of the big like kernels or, or just pearls we would give young optometrists looking to open a practice would be man price shop price shop around for the equipment. Cause we were able to negotiate. Oh my gosh, it's crazy. Oh my goodness. I mean, we negotiated, we probably cut the price almost in half just of all those instruments, just by reaching around reaching out to different vendors to see what they could get for us. It was crazy. Like buying a car, you know, somebody says they got the, the best price for you. And then you go to another person and their price is 10 K less. And then you go back to the first person and magically they've got one that's 12 K less. And, you know, it's like, wait a minute, what, what, what happened here? Yeah. Yeah. Thank that's you. good. Good advice. Um, and then when, with your tech, with all, with this technology and the, the specialization of the practice, how does that work uh, sort of relate to the way you assign roles to your staff? So again, I think when we opened as a cold start, we were able to implement good training programs for the staff and really get them up to speed on how to work with our scleral patients, how to do um, the insertion and removal training when we would um, fit lenses on the eye. Um, We're still working with the staff on how to do some of the pre-testing measurements that need to be taken. But I think having that one-on-one time to really train the staff up, uh, to have them work with us, it took a lot of the burden off of us. So we weren't spending hours upon hours with the patients. Uh, yeah, to- I, I agree a hundred percent. I think there's a fine line, um, between delegating and over delegating. And, right. um, you know, I think that that's maybe, you know, some people we kind of have this mindset of, oh, I can't wait to hand everything off to the technician or the optician or whoever. Um, one of the things that makes our, our practice, we think so successful is the amount of face time that Dave and I actually get to spend with patients. So, you know, you kind of want to take a serious look in the mirror as you're trying to decide what kind of practice you want. Are you, are you going to try and ramp things up to have 40 patients a day per doctor with a scribe and have a whole team so that you can just pump out exams? Or are you going to try and have half that 20 patients a day with a smaller profile, a smaller staff and more time with each patient. And, um, you know, I think, uh, that's more the route that we've gone out of the gate is to spend this extra time with patients. But at the same time, to, to Dave's point, you know, there are certain things that we, we don't need to be doing, or, you know, don't necessarily want to be doing, you know, when, especially like, for example, when it comes to insertion removal training, um, you know, that's a great spot where, you know, for us to be doing that would be an enormous amount of time. Um, and it's definitely something that the staff is capable of. So that's something that right out of the gate, we made sure that they were very proficient and knowledgeable about everything scleral contact lens related so that they could handle that big chunk of time. 
Well, Alex, you, you nailed it too. And that was part of our strategy when we first opened the practice was we were going to delegate some aspects of the scleral lens fitting onto staff, but we were going to retain other aspects of it because the patient experience is so important as they go through. And we want to have that that touch with the patient. And then with the eaglet, the, the ESP, on the workflow side there, you see a lot of different combinations of how people work with the patient and the eaglet. So are you holding the lids? Is the technician holding the lids? Or is a who's, who's, you know, focusing the, uh, the instrument, how yes. do you work with Eaglet? <laughs> so, so basically this has been a huge, um, I feel like, you know, I've been on, on multiple, you know, continuing education discussions about this. And this is a huge thing for, for the Eaglet team that they kind of plug again and again and again, which is do not take shortcuts on image acquisition, because if you get a crappy image, then it's pretty much worthless. You know, if you send the lab a bad image, they don't have much to work with as far as designing you a good lens. So you've you've pretty much wasted everyone's time at that point. Um, so basically, yeah, you, you always want to have two people um, holding lids, myself and, you know, a technician or two technicians. But, you know, I don't love having the patient do it. I don't love doing it by myself whether it's possible or not, you're always going to get a better image when you've got two people doing it. You know, that way you can take your time, make sure that, you know, you've got, you've installed your, you know, prepare cane, your gel tears, you've painted the ocular surface appropriately and, you know, given the opportunity for the patient to, to blink, get ready, get set, take the shot and then, and then move on. But, you know, so yeah, that, that part of the process is really, really important. It's also been really nice that Eaglet added that those, you know, numbers that basically tell you if the shot is good or not. The quality um, control. Where, yeah, yeah, the quality, the quality control, control has been awesome because um, that's made it a lot easier too. And, and it's given, I think, the opportunity for staff to maybe slide in there and take that role even over completely because now they're going to know immediately um, they're getting that immediate feedback if they've taken a good image. Yeah, you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say when the quality control went in, that that was really oh, yeah. a game changer. Um, definitely want to have staff helping you with that. Um, I can tell you I've had a number of calls with uh, the, the specialists at the lab saying, hey, can you repeat these scans after the patients left the office? Because we tried to have the patient hold their own lids and that's not a good idea. Yeah, okay. And when you say you have a couple people, so like you might actually have two people holding lids? Yeah. So, I mean, pretty much we're always going to have either, you know, it's myself or Dave and one of our, uh, one of our staff members, basically on the other side with the patient, they'll, we'll usually have, uh, you know, one person holding lower lid and then we'll usually hold the upper lid. Yeah. Yeah. Alex nailed it. it usually um, we're kind of capturing the image with one hand and holding the upper lid with the other. And uh, we have staff in there holding the lower lid for us. Got it. Got it. I get it. Okay. So now that's a little bit more clear to me. So there's two of you, one at the instrument and at the same time that you're adjusting the instrument, you're, you're ready to hold a lid right. and um, then a staff member helping you out. Okay. Yeah. We've got, we got a giant screen in there, which is nice because, you know, you, you don't even have to really look at the the patient. You kind of looking at what you're doing on the, on the screen. So we're kind of watching, make sure we're, we're lined up on the screen. Um, and, you know, we can see if we've got a, a good alignment, good grip on the lid, all that stuff um, at the same time that, and then our other um, 
staff members controlling the other lid. Oh, so you're employing a, a pretty decent sized monitor then. Yeah, which is which is great. It makes it easier for us. It's also, you know, nice patient can see what's going on afterwards, kind of show them. Um, I, that's part of the allure, honestly, to the technology is, you know, the the display and the 3D, you know, maps that you can show patients what their eyes looking like and what their cornea looks like. And it, it just kind of helps them understand what what we're looking at and then gives them a glimpse into the design aspect as well. Okay. And then let's move into marketing because you guys had a lot of really great stuff to share about how you uh, marketing, especially the fact that you started up a practice. So you said that it wasn't any one thing. There was sort of a mix of things, uh, which we would call a marketing mix for the MBA in the, in the group here, <laughs> Dave. You talked about one thing that you did was you had an open house. Right. So what did, what did that accomplish and who was invited? A lot of our referring docs that... Um, work around us in the area, a lot of the cornea specialists who refer patients into us, um, friends and, and family stopped by as well um, at the open house. Um, Gibbs, what else do you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, it was just, a you know, it was kind of early on. Unfortunately, that was still kind of in pandemic times. So, you know, we had to be a little bit selective of how many people we had rolling into the office, but it yeah. was you know, because so many of our, the majority of our referrals come from other doctors, um, you know, it was important for us to get them into the door, see what we were doing, see what our space looked like, you know, let people know where where we're at. And even that, at that point, we hadn't seen anybody in a little while. So it's kind of nice to get some people together too. Alex, wouldn't you say the open house was really important for us on the scleral lens front in terms of getting folks in to kind of see the equipment that we had, to see the eaglet, to see the hundred percent. It's a, it's just a nice reminder that, you know, we are taking it seriously. This is kind of what we've invested in and, you know, we're not, we're not dabbling in this. This is something that we plan on doing every day. And then you had uh, follow-up letters you you worked on your website. Tell me a little bit about the uh, website. Well, I, I think, I guess the best way I would describe the entire thing is kind of like a, maybe the best way to phrase it is like a grassroots mentality, right? You, you know, you, you can't just do something once and expect that that's it. You know, you, you can't just plant the flag. You can't, uh, you know, if you build it, they, they won't just come. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it, you, you have to, to kind of nurture it and it's it's everything. It's the website. It's, you know, in person get togethers, dinners, lunches, letters, phone calls, you name it. So, you know, I think we we, we initially had a website that that um, Dave, was it was it a was it Vision Trends or Vision Web? But somebody we, we like I can't remember yeah. where the init. Yeah, I think it was through I think it was through Vision Trends, which is the buying group we're a part of. They they helped us set up a website. I think the website worked well um, for the minimum capacity that we needed of like, hey, here we are and scheduling an appointment. Um, we upgraded the website probably six months into working at the office when we realized we wanted to create a more 
ecosystem friendly. If folks hear about us and want to go to our website to find out more about scleral lenses, they might have questions when they're being referred into the practice. And at least to having like blog articles and write-ups and even I think they're called video logs or vlog articles as well uh, for patients to kind of see what we do and, and how everything works. That was that was very important. But no, just building on Alex's point, I think having referral materials that we could pass out to eye care providers in the community, um, always sending letters back to the docs when patients get referred into us. That was that's been a key part of us building the practice, and then having that website where kind of gives more detail to the patients. It, it was huge in the beginning. You know, when you, when you open a new business, you know, you, you, you don't have the luxury of just typing in your name or the name of the business and having it pop up on Google. You know, that takes, it's, it's a whole algorithm and it takes time and effort. And, you know, you have to find ways to legitimize your business before Google will start recognizing it. So that when people search for you know, myself or Dave on the internet that, you know, for, for those first couple months, you know, we might be on page three of Google. Nobody goes to page three of Google. Right. right? So, you know, you, you have to, that's where we, we said, okay, we're going to employ a, uh, you know, an actual marketing team to, to make sure we've got everything optimized on our website. And, you know, they know all the little tricks and all the things that you have to do, the social media posts, the, you know, how, Things have to be worded and, and match a certain way. Um, and, you know, we just kind of watch our, our names kind of rise up the list of, of Google. So, you know, out of the gate, yeah, it's great. You open up practice. People have to be able to find you. You know, your, your maps has to be correct and you don't want to be sent to the gas station across the street. Um, so it's just like a lot of little things, a lot of technical things that we're, we're obviously not going to either have time or know how to do correctly. So that does take a little bit of, of uh not even time so much as just an investment in the marketing side um, before you, you know, start looking at other things, just to take care of your, your basics. Oh yeah. Right. And building on that too, YouTube, YouTube's been big for us. I mean, we've produced some content that we've put on YouTube. There's, there's one video not related to sclerals. I think it's related to how to wear your progressive lenses um, with just the staff kind of talking about us as we're wearing the glasses. I think it has like 40 or 50,000 views on YouTube. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is great. We put it out a year and a half ago. That's great. That's awesome. And then you also talked about relationship uh, building tactics, um, uh, inviting people to events or shadowing. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. So one I think, th- no, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead, Gibbs. Go, you got it. I, I think Dave and I understood and you know, from, from day one that, um, you know, the, the relationship piece of what we do is just so important. And that, that goes with our patients and our referring providers. I mean, you know, we talked earlier about that built-in time that we have in our practice to kind of get to know our patients. And then, you know, they, they experience and feel, feel that their experience was, was, different than what they normally experience when they go to the doctor and they tell people about it. And similarly with our referring providers, you know, you know, I think, unfortunately, there's a huge majority of docs that they, once they send somebody out, uh, you know, that's the end of it. There's no correspondence. There's no follow-up. You know, it's, it's really important to have that correspondence, whether it's letters 
or phone calls. I mean, we feel very comfortable with a lot of our referring providers. We, you know, um, can text each other or call each other, um, get together for lunches. And again, you know, when you're trying to develop these relationships, you can't just necessarily say hi to somebody once and then expect that they're going to be like, oh, you know, that's Dr. So-and-so. Yep. They're our go-to for this. Like that, that takes time. It has to be kind of nurtured along. We always use the term uh, build relationships and deliver on commitments. We talk about us. We, when we meet up with docs, we always think we're playing the long game. We open a practice in a community that we live in. We're both planning on being here for 15, 20, 25 years. We think of the relationships as such. And Alex, I know I've heard you say this to docs before. You talk about how you're trying to take it back to the old school approach of where we all kind of know each other and we know where we practice. And especially with the cornea specialists, they want to know when they're sending a patient out that they're going to get a reliable experience. They're not going to see a new doc that they don't know. They want to make sure the patient has a good experience too. And we're able to provide that. And I think um, you, you, you told me a pretty big number for the number of referrals, the percentage of referrals you get from um, ophthalmologists. Um, what was that? It's, right. I mean, it's probably 90% of okay. our, of our, you know, specialty lenses come directly from um, referrals from, from those guys. And uh, Dave and I understand too, that, you know, a lot of times these, you know, a, a totally game-changing decision is likely going to happen in a room that we're not present in, right? So, you know, putting in that work in, ahead of time, you know, someone else and a new cornea specialist comes to town, asks, talks to another, you know, specialist and says, hey, you know, who, who do you send to for this type of stuff? Oh, we send to, you know, Dr. Giberman, Dr. Williams. Um, and then, boom, you, you that's now an entire new source. And, that came from all the work that we put in to develop those relationships early on. And that stuff just kind of, you know, helps you build your reputation. And, and uh, you know, that's, I mean, cannot overstate how important that piece is. We, for some, talked, for, go ahead, Dave. Oh, no, I, I was just going to say, adding to this too, something we talk about is it's, we call it like speed to specialty. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a, uh, Going back a couple of years ago, I heard a lecture um, by um, an executive at the Cleveland Clinic, and he talked about speed of specialty from when a patient would enter the Cleveland Clinic to get their diagnoses to getting the specialist and getting treatment and looking at that and trying to speed that up to make it a matter of days as opposed to a matter of weeks. Because we don't overbook the schedule and we're not seeing 40 patients a day, something we stress to the to the referring docs is that, hey, if you have a patient that you want fit in a specialty lens, we should be able to get them in relatively soon and get the process started so that they're not sitting on it for a long period of time. So we kind of took that Cleveland Clinic approach of speed to specialty and have really tried to implement that in the office. We also try to make sure that the referring providers have what they would, you know, what we want to make it easy for them to send people to us. You know, that's a, that's a big part of it too. It's one thing to know who we are, where our office is, but you know, how, how does, how does that transfer of care actually happen? Um, so, you know, making sure that we have 
referral cards and, and uh, our information readily available. Uh, and it's not even necessarily to the referring doctor, but to their staff or their front desk, because um, inevitably that's who's making that that actually happen. At, you know, they're the, the last person to see that patient. Um, so it's actually important for, for those guys to know who you are as well. Um, so that, you know, things don't get, you know, lost in translation, patient rolls up to the front desk, uh, ah, doctor, whoever told me to, they told me to see doctor, what was it? Uh, Wilson. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 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 That is the truth. Man. Next thing you know, that patient is, you know, somewhere else and you know that stuff, you know, it happens. So we, we want to make it as easy as possible for people to get from A to B. So for somebody that's newer, that's just starting to build their specialty lens practice, let's, let's say they, they've had a couple of these really good experiences in the first lenses that they've fit. And they're thinking, I really want to spend more time in this particular area. If you just take yourself back and you're starting from scratch, what do you think the two or three key things you would do are? I'll start with you, Alex. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think it kind of goes back to what I said earlier, where, you know, you, I don't, want the, I don't mean for this to sound harsh, but nobody cares what you did in school. Nobody really cares. Your referring doctors do not care at all. If you were a contact lens resident, residency trained person, <laughs> it just doesn't, it doesn't matter once you start practicing, it, you know, so it, it, it kind of goes back to where I said, you, you can't just plant your flag and say, I'm now a specialty lens fitter in Cincinnati. Um, it, it definitely takes patience and, and time and, and relationship building and understanding of your demographics, where your specialists are, and then building those relationships getting, you know, mastering your craft, investing in equipment. So I think the, the, the short answer is the advice for, for anyone trying to do that is don't get frustrated that you're not doing 25 a month out of the gate. Be happy if you're doing one a month out of the gate and build on it, you know, build it over years. And, and then it's, it's that it, it's a slow burn. It, it just can't be the only thing that you do, you know, you have to do a little bit of everything and just kind of build it along the way. And don't just expect that people are going to be impressed by your background because it's just not how the real world works. Dave. Gibbs, you absolutely nailed it, man. I, uh, I wrote down here, build relationships. No one cares what you did in school. If you're going to get <laughs> your name out there, uh, you're going to have to attend lectures. You're going to have to ask good questions. You're going to have to slowly build these relationships with the folks who who see patients that need scleral lenses. And just by you going out there and marketing, a lot of the general public is going to go, what's a scleral lens and why do I need it? And you're going to be like, well, most of the general public probably doesn't need it. Well, that's probably not the place you want to be doing the marketing. You know, um, If you're going to focus on that group that deals with it, specifically the cornea specialists, you got to spend the time. You got to put the time and the energy in and not give up. I mean, yeah, this, say, this, this, this took us, you know, eight years to, you know, eight, nine years to get to where we're at. You know, this, this right. definitely was not a thing that happened overnight. Uh, not even close. 
And when you say build the relationships, we've, we've talked a, a lot about relationship building, but specifically for some of those starting from scratch, so to speak, would it be actually visiting those other practices and saying, hey, I just want you to know, and maybe with a, a packet of information, like, I just want to let you know that I do this, that I've got the equipment, blah, blah, blah. Or um, well, what, what are the ways they, they reach out and build this relationship? Oh, I would say shadow. That, that's the easiest thing you can do is go shadow the cornea specialist in their environment, see how they operate, see how they're running the clinic, and then kind of build it from there. So the, oh. in terms of shadow, that would be c- contact the cornea specialist and just say, I'd like to learn more about uh, what you do in these particular cases. So uh, when I run into them in my practice, I know better how to handle it. And the guy says, yeah, come on in. and Or the gal, is that what it is? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, shadowing, at least I'm sure it's like this everywhere here in Cincinnati. The, it's super accessible. You can actually get continuing education hours for doing it, which is an oh. easy way to get like eight hours of CE credit by just spending a day with your local specialist of some kind, which is which is a win-win, obviously. Um, I, I would I would say another big one is attending the meetings. You know, this there's there's at least you know, there's a lot of specialty lens meetings throughout the year. There's two big ones. You get the one in the global um, symposium in Vegas and the uh, International Scleral Congress in Fort Lauderdale. And, you know, that's, those are two great meetings where you you can just learn a ton really quickly. You have access to all the equipment, all the advice that you could ever want to get from all the the top people in the world that do this. Um, And that's certainly how we you know, always felt like we, we came away from those meetings, learning something new and kind of advanced uh, our knowledge and were able to bring things back to our pra- practice right away. But, uh, you know, so it's, it's just a little, again, a little bit of everything. And then, you know, some patience, some time, don't, don't try and just tackle everything all at once, try and kind of just have a good understanding, build it and then dive into it. Okay. Okay. Th- those are great answers. And I thought one of the interesting things that we talked about as we were preparing for this was the the different strengths that you both bring to the practice. And I, I think it's funny because a couple of times in this conversation, you've both had exactly the same thoughts. So you're, you're really aligned. There's no question about that. But you did bring different strengths to the practice. So Dave, what was the strength that you think you brought to the practice? Oh, man business background, just being fortunate enough to, to have the MBA to implement some of those strategies and, and operations when I was working with the LASIK provider before we started here. And then when we opened the office, kind of, um, hey, here's here's what we want to do. Here's our goal. Here's, here's what we want to execute with it. Here's the whiteboard strategy of the marketing and, you know, we're going to cast a wide net and then looking at which levers to pull and what's most profitable. I think that big picture stuff was really beneficial. Um, But if I could just gush and talk about Alex a little bit here, his ability to implement is incredible. Absolutely incredible. I couldn't do it without him. Well, you know, Dave, Dave is our fiscally responsible dad of the practice, right? Because, you know, I, especially in the beginning, right. I'm, I'm saying, oh, look at, look at the, look at the fun, shiny object. And, 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 you know, it's, it's really great. You know, Dave say, okay, well, yeah, you know, that's, that's good. You know, it's, uh, we gotta, let's make sure it makes sense. Uh, you know, 
financially for the practice and you know how long is it going to take to pay for it and that that's that's huge because I obviously did not have that background at all you know as far as the 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 business and finance stuff and at the end of the day it's a business you got to be able to keep the lights on you can't just go buying buying everything I guess uh, you know from from my standpoint you know coming from from six seven years in a in a group practice just you know, I felt like I had a pretty good understanding of how, you know, the insurance plans worked and the implementation of uh, just, just scheduling, you know, kind of a smoothness operations kind of standpoint. But, you know, Dave just brought so much to the table with with his entire background and then especially having the uh, the MBA and was able to pretty much create our entire business plan and uh, and, and execute it to a T. I mean, it just was, was <laughs> unbelievable how that, how that all came to be. So yeah, it was definitely a good, I think we, we both kind of had our, our strengths coming in and were able to really leverage those to, to make things work. Alex's, his ability to, I just got to gush on a little more, Alex's ability with like nuance and, and how to bill appropriately and how to set up the process through the clinic and, and how are we going to go about actually doing this? Um, wouldn't have been able to do it without you, man. So it's been great. <laughs> well, this this has been a delightful call and conversation. You've really shared a lot of really good ideas. So I, I really do appreciate the time that you both have spent uh, this past hour. Any final comments? Well, again, we we appreciate you having us on, and this is this is fun. We we. You know, we love talking about this type of stuff and uh, you know, hope that we get the opportunity to, to do so uh, a little bit more often in the future. And are you going to, are both of you going to go to the ICSC this in Fort Lauderdale this year or? Yes, we will oh, be there. We'll see you there. Dave, final comment? Uh, man, reach out. If, uh, if you're listening to this and you're thinking about opening a practice, reach out. We're more than happy to mentor. We're will, more than happy to give you an opinion. I mean, it's a, uh, you know, we're we're not gonna we're not gonna advance the profession by hiding things or or not sharing the the clinical pearls and you know best practices we've learned along the way. And um, you know, we're more than happy to help. Well, thank you both again. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thanks, Ted. Dr. Williams and Dr. Giberman just offered up a lot of pearls of wisdom regarding building a specialty lens practice. What is your long game? You may have an idea, but have you written it down? If not, take a few minutes to do so. Then think about applying one or two of the tactics you learned about in today's conversation. For example, we all know that cataract and LASIK surgeons are regularly screening out keratoconus patients. Are these patients ultimately getting referred to you? And when was the last time you saw a cataract surgery? Why not call up a cataract surgeon to see if you could observe several cataract surgeries? This is a great way to work on your relationship with that surgeon. And while there, make sure he or she knows that you are helping keratoconus patients with specialty lenses. Thanks for sharing your time with Dr. Giberman, Dr. Williams, and me today. Until next time.